This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thrilled today to speak with Nate Lesser. Nate is the Chief Information Security Officer at Children's National. Uh, the role of Chief Information Security Officer has become more stressful, more exciting, more interesting over the last decade or so, and particularly the last few years. You had to get a chance to visit with Nate today about those issues and a little bit more. Nate, can you take a moment and introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks for having me. It's great to talk with you. Um, so, as you mentioned, I'm the Chief Information Security Officer at Children's National. Children's National Hospital is a teaching hospital and a research hospital. We're the top children's hospital in the D.C. region and one of the top hospitals, children's hospitals in the nation. Um, personally, I'm, I'm an engineer, uh, and I've come to this from, from that perspective. Uh, I've been working in cybersecurity for the last 15 years or so and uh, had an opportunity to work inside and outside government, which is kind of the company town uh, employer in, in the D.C. region. Um, and I'm really excited to be in a role in healthcare now, uh, where day in and day out, we're working on protecting children, families, our staff and providers who, who help take care of them. And take a moment, talk to us about the role of CISO and how that's evolved in the last three to five years. Maybe a couple thoughts there. Sure. So you, you traditionally you'll see um, CISO roles where you're you're looking at highly technical uh, individuals who get deep quickly um, and are really seen by an organization as someone responsible for the build out of security infrastructure, kind of fingers on the keyboard, technical implementation. And while that's a good foundational grounding to have for any CISO, it's important to be able to get deep and understand the technical details. Um, over the last, I would say even longer than five years, but certainly it's accelerated. The, the role of the CISO has really become more of a business leader. Um, you're standing up in front of the executive leadership of your organization on a very regular basis. Um, I will tell you, surprisingly, uh, given the threats to healthcare over the last six months that have been really significant, but certainly over the last number of years, I find myself briefing our board of directors on a quarterly basis. And that uh, role is different from the technical aspect. So you have to think about individuals who have that high EQ, who are able to really be storytellers and translate technical risk into the language of, of the business and its executive leadership and, and translate technical risk into business risk. Thank you. And talk about in terms of, uh, and your point is well taken. I mean, you actually have an engineering background, but more and more leaders in technology are not necessarily technologists by background. They're, they're, they're business leaders trying to clarify, simplify and clarify and recruit great teams to do what has to be done and be able to assess threats and so forth. Talk about how in today's world as a CISO, you are assessing threats, you are allocating time and resources. I mean, we know in your role, you were probably pitched by so many vendors that you could spend more than the health system budget on security, but of course there'd be no money left for patient care. How do you allocate and decide what to do, what not to do, and how to assess threats and how to you know, strengthen the organization from a security standpoint? So I, it's a great question, and I think it, it frankly, it's not unlike any other uh, role where you're trying to do more with less. Uh, and every day, 
the threats increase, the technical sophistication of the threats increase, we're looking at um, either direct threats from nation state actors or sometimes as in, you know, the solar wind supply chain attack, we, we might become uh, the possibility that we could become collateral damage in an attack that's really intended, at, in, intended for a different target. Um, and we have to balance those highly sophisticated threats against the commoditized attacks that we're seeing day in and day out, constantly hammering away on our networks and systems that are launched by botnets, that are, that are launched by low-level sophistication actors, but in such a high volume that, they, that all they need is you know, one-tenth of one percent of people to click on something they shouldn't in order to get that wedge into the door. So we have to manage both ends of the spectrum at the same time. That's challenging in and of itself. We also have to do that in an environment where there is intense demand for the skills that we need on our teams in order to, to really address these threats. Um, I would say it helps significantly to have the kind of organizational support that I found myself uh, walking into at Children's. So I, I've, I've only been at, at, at Children's uh, for eight months. It's an amazing place. It just, it's a magical place. But one of the things that makes my job possible, and it's a very challenging job, is the level of institutional focus and leadership support that we have for cybersecurity. Um, in any hospital, you have aging infrastructure, you have legacy systems, you've got the complexity of medical devices and other IoT on top of the need to protect patients and their data. It is a complex environment, and you add to that the kinds of threats that we've seen really over the last six months that were directly targeted, particularly US, U.S.-based hospitals. Um, it's, there, is, there is no question that we have to do more with less. So how do we do it? How do we prioritize? It's a great question. I believe that we do it by taking a, a whole of the community approach. We do it by leveraging resources outside of our environment that we don't have to pay for, or that we do, but they're membership organizations. Uh, I'll give a shout out to the HISAC, the Information Sharing and Analysis Center for Healthcare, which is a great organization that brings together hospitals and other uh, healthcare organizations in order to, to become a uh, funnel for threat information, uh, as well as an environment that sometimes will do the vetting. As you mentioned, I do get a fair amount of calls from vendors in cybersecurity and having uh, an organization like the HISAC and a couple of others that we're members of to help us identify those vendors that have already gone through a process in healthcare that have already figured out how to best integrate their security tools with the healthcare environment is really valuable. Um, so those are just some ideas, but we are always looking to find the right balance there. And it's a challenge. And talk about it, and it really goes hand in hand with this, of course. Talk a bit about top three challenges that you're looking at now, biggest challenges, biggest priorities. When you look at this year, biggest challenges, biggest priorities. Yeah, so I think it's a great question. I, I, I guess I'd give you a little bit more of a, rather than the big, broad strategic challenges, which, you know, how do we do more with less kind of question, which is which is entirely true. Um, maybe some more tactical things that we're looking at this year. Um, the shift to using uh, infrastructure as a service, which is fantastic for any organization that can do it uh, in terms of agility and flexibility, um, 
can we figure out how to capitalize those costs, right? For uh, reasons that are kind of beyond my uh, rudimentary understanding of accounting, uh, it's easier to pay for infrastructure that you can capitalize than for um, than for things that fall into your OPEX budget. So how do we, from a security perspective, there's great value in the um, the immutability and the ephemeralness of the infrastructure that you can get uh, in, in cloud environments and being able to leverage the security of the cloud itself when those providers, the big cloud providers, uh, give you a lot of those security components. Uh, but how do we do that when it's, you know, without shifting all of our cost topics? So that's something that I'm, I'm trying to figure out. And I'd uh, love to hear if any, if you or any of your listeners have ideas on that one, we're, we're all ears. Um, I would also say, you know, like most people in security, we're looking at how do we shift from being in a reactive posture to a proactive one. With the ransomware attacks that have hit hospitals over the last six months, really uh, being top of mind, how do we move into an environment where we can stop and interdict in an automated fashion quickly without the spread of ransomware or other malicious code across our environment? Um, I would say that's number two. How do we get to be more predictive, less reactionary? And especially in cases where you know ransomware is taking out hospital uh, infrastructure, putting hospitals into downtime procedures for sometimes upwards of a month. That's an incredibly long time to be uh, trying to operate through a loss of significant portions of your IT infrastructure. Um, the last thing I'll say is really a kind of structural one that I see across uh, many, if not all, hospitals. Uh, it's this notion of the decentralization of ownership of information technology and equipment. So when you take IoT and medical IoT, um, as well as you know the individual units and, and a hospital like ours that has a clinical side and a, a very large research activity, how do you provide se consistent security across all of those activities when in a lot of cases, your centralized IT team doesn't actually own the systems that, uh, and infrastructure that you are responsible for protecting? So those are some, some big uh, rocks that we're hoping to tackle over the next year. And talk to us, you mentioned ransomware, you mentioned this issue. This is a huge issue, and there's different schools of thought on There's this theory that I heard recently espoused that the more you pay ransom to ransomware, the more you become a target. But, you know, healthcare executives feeling that their hands are very tied. Any thoughts on how you approach these issues? Besides, of course, being more proactive to avoid getting captured to begin with. But any thoughts on this? It's almost like an FBI hostage negotiator in terms of how you think about that issue. Yeah, so I, I realize this is still a topic of conversation, and, and, and honestly, I'm a little surprised by it. Um, to some extent, we have, and I, and I know there are, some, there are some new laws in place addressing this, although there, there still leaves some, some gray area. Um, you know, can you use a third party who is responsible for escrowing ransom and then have that third party pay off and negotiate on your behalf? It's a little bit like the more traditional providers of kind of K&R services, like kidnap and recovery services for uh, organizations that would have staff working overseas in unfriendly environments. Um, it's 
it, it's it's a good question. It's one that I suppose people are still working through. I, I come down on the side of um, I don't necessarily believe that you become a more of a target if you pay the ransom. I do believe that there is very little incentive for um, individual attackers to provide you with the keys to unlock your infrastructure. I know they do sometimes, and there is an incentive, kind of a global incentive for them to provide the keys because it incentivizes the next person to pay the ransom. But the individual incentives, I think, are very low for, for those attackers. Uh, I would also say that the better approach is to have the resiliency baked into your infrastructure so that if you become a victim of ransomware, uh, you have the, the the tools necessary to stop an attack before it spreads. You have the resiliency baked into your infrastructure that allows you to recover quickly. And you can do a lot of those things by reducing complexity. You talked about tool sets earlier. We are, as an industry, I really believe, over-tooled and understaffed. I think we need to focus more of our energy on tuning our infrastructure getting our security tools to work together and work well and spend less money on the latest, greatest new tool to add to our, our arsenal. And, and let me ask you a question about, you know, I, I couldn't agree with you more on staffing versus tools. Everybody wants to sell more tools, but really more tools without better and improved staff and more staff to handle and manage and manage the environment. You know, you only can go so far with just more tools, certainly. And I know there's more and more managed security solutions that people are trying to sell and so forth. Let me ask you another question. Like you talked about sort of kidnap and rescue and in sort of dark parts of the world and stuff like that. Is it possible to hire Liam Neeson to go after the ransomware people or is that just on TV? A cyber version of a specialized skill set. Um, yeah, I, I mean, there, I, there are special groups that uh, spend their days scouring the dark web, know how to do these negotiations well. Um, some of my friends work for those organizations, not one person, that's only on TV. Um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a cliche at this point, it's an old adage that cybersecurity is a team sport. So the question I have always asked is, you know, where do you go to build the best team? And it's not just your own individual team, it's the set of resources, it's your it's your insurance company, and it's your legal department, and it's the outside counsel you hire, and it's the forensic company you have on retainer. And does it make sense to have a company that specializes in that with, with uh, you know, certain the capability to escrow money in, in cryptocurrency? It might. Um, I, I think in a lot of cases, the better answer, rather than spending your time and energy on that specific service, you know, unless you you know you're a target today and you're you're expected you're expecting to get hit and uh, really think that you have the approval of your organization and you're you know meeting regulatory requirements uh, to be able to pay a ransom. Otherwise, I would say put your energy into resilience, reduce the complexity of your environment, and find good ways to ensure that you have off-network backups that you've got infrastructure you can recover from quickly. If you're a hospital, you have to have high resiliency in your data centers. So have warm sites that you can recover to. No, I think that's, I think that's actually great, great advice. And, and thank you. I, I actually, a fascinating answer, because I asked the question half facetiously if we could hire Liam Neeson, and you actually had different answers for how actually there are people <laughs> that do these kinds of negotiations. So, 
It's an education for me. And what a fascinating world you live in. They don't usually look like Liam Neeson. I am sure that that is correct. Only on movies do they look like that. Exactly. They probably look more like people like me, which is so embarrassing. The um, Anyways, Nate, I want to thank you for joining us today. What a pleasure to visit with you on the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Really informative. Thank you very, very much. Thank you.